What's up, everybody? This is Grant at Cause Artist. Welcome to the first episode of Investing in Impact, where I chat with impact investors and impact firms around the world to discuss what it means to be a social impact investor, what is impact investing, and what the future of investing in companies and founders that want to impact the world look like. I'm fascinated by the world of finance and social entrepreneurship and social impact. So to have these two merge and to discuss it a bit further of how capital injected into social good companies and social impact brands and impact entrepreneurs can 100% change the world and change everything we know about uh, business in general. And this shift into investing more consciously is something I'm really interested in and really passionate about. So I hope you guys enjoy this show. And in the first episode, we're going to chat with Peter Bruce Clark, who is a partner at Social Impact Capital. And Social Impact Capital funds ambitious entrepreneurs building world-changing companies. Their investments aim to produce venture capital returns by solving the world's most challenging and entrenched problems. And Peter is a partner at the firm. In addition to his work there, Peter has led research on impact finance and strategic investment at Stanford University, collaborating with Planet Heritage and White Sand Investor Group. His publications include Sovereign Development Funds, The Governance and Management of Strategic Investment Institutions, which was published in the Oxford Handbook of Sovereign Wealth Funds in 2018. He has a master's degree in business administration and finance from the Judge Business School at University of Cambridge and a first-class honors bachelor's in English and critical theory from Queen Mary University of London. And we get into a lot about that, actually, initially, um, and his critical theory background and you know his, his time studying philosophy and, and kind of letting that pave the way for him to, to understand better what money can do for the world. And Peter is awesome at, at digging into a lot of personal stories and, and just a lot of his reasoning for choosing companies to invest in and how social impact capital look at the long-term impact of companies and its potential for growth from an impact standpoint and a sustainability standpoint, and then also from a monetary standpoint for a return on investors. And it's it's pretty interesting. We, we shout out, he shouts out some of the companies that are in their portfolio and man, I fell in love with them instantly. I love, love every one of them that he mentioned. So I hope you, uh, Really enjoy the episode and kind of go look at some of the companies that are in the portfolio when you get a chance after we, we sort of talk about them and you can kind of get a better idea of what you know what social impact investing is, what is it companies what, what does that look like, right? From a company's foundational standpoint and, and the problems that you're trying to solve. What is it what does it look like from both the impact entrepreneurs perspective and also the investors perspective on, on what they look for. So hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and enjoy the show in general. And can't wait to really get started on this journey. Um, have a great week. Have a great day. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. How I usually like to start these episodes and just these shows in general is about an individual's journey on how they get to where they are, not only in their career, but in their life. Um, and I think uh, just reading over a little bit of your background, it's been a pretty awesome journey. I mean, you've done a lot of different things. And I think the the insight that that's a, you could share um, is going to be pretty amazing. So let, maybe let's start with maybe after college uh, around that time and, and kind of start from there and take us on that journey of when you started to, to maybe even first hear about impact investing and, and really sort of went full throttle into it. Yeah. So I think 
after I just graduated from university, I've got a humanities and arts background. So I'm English literature and critical theory. And so I was really into the philosophy side of what I was doing. And when I graduated, I managed to get an internship in New York to do work at Mercer, which is an investment consultant. And at the same time, I was at Columbia toying with the idea of, do I do a philosophy degree? Mm -hmm. I was like, what is what is more valuable, what is interesting, what is a good use of my time. Right. And I think at the same time, I was always interested about how the economy structures your existence or how the economy and where you are situated in the economy impacts how you live, how you think about yourself and basically your life. And then that was more, all the more obvious working at Mercer when you've got a large consultant that you know, has trillions of dollars under management, that that money goes to some places and it doesn't go to other places. Sure. And so one of my realizations, I think working at Mercer and at the same time studying, and I was studying just completely bonkers continental philosophy. So you know, think of that really like German idealism, like Kant, like Hegel and stuff, really, mm -hmm. really intense philosophy. Um, I had the realization that, you know, maybe capital could be differently allocated and maybe we would have a different experience. We'd be living a completely different world mm -hmm. uh, if capital was just placed in different assets and funded different assets. And after that, you know, I've, I've carried on with my internship that actually got extended. And then by the end of it, I was like, well, what, what could I do to get more into this world of business and finance? um to understand how i could have agency and it's a bit to do with agency i think personally my my upbringing you know i i grew up with academics who are also practitioners mm -hmm. um in kind of in funds management too and they've always been focused on sustainability and long-term investment and what does it mean to be a long-term investor so i always had this at the back of my head i think as a little little voice a little chirp. You know, <laughs> a little chirp. And so i went back to england and i did my masters um and there i it was quite funny i uh i had this one module that really inspired me and really i think got me on this path is i had a seminar with believe it or not a man called lord eatwell which Perfect. i found hilarious i found this just like absolutely marvelous <laughs> by a lord but also eat well. And so it was about financial markets and globalization uh, and different um, circumstances that different countries have found themselves in over the span of the last 50 to 100 years and seeing the evolution of financial markets and how that impacted certain countries and then also some of the financial crises. So, you know, I got to study about the Asian financial crisis and how some of those countries came out of those circumstances. And so I just suddenly realized that capital is this amazing structuring force in our lives across the world. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to figure out how I could direct capital in ways that I think were productive in my belief system about what's productive. And I was also kind of a little bit Greta Thurbergian when I was growing up. I was like very, it's like a, like a goth at school, you know, yeah. I was like, you know, I, I was very like sort of emo and, but was sort of obsessed with this idea that we were doomed and that the environment, that the environment was completely 
lost. And I, I grew up with that too. So I was, I had a really bleak kind of outlook for such a long time. I think it's a, probably around then that I started to learn more about impact investing. That's probably about 10 years ago, mm -hmm. maybe nine years ago. Um, but I had no opportunity because, you know, when you graduate and you're back in that time in London, the opportunities were you go into management consulting, you go into investment banking, or you do private equity, or you go into marketing. That, that's kind of like the city, right? And yeah. that's the city. And so at a certain point, I was like, oh, I don't know. And I, I helped build a data center um, around sovereign wealth funds. So that was my first like, proper job. So I built from scratch institutional investors, sovereign wealth center, which is kind of a data center for an um, analyst house for global sovereign wealth funds. And then I learned all about these vehicles and these state-sponsored vehicles that essentially have double and triple bottom line investment objectives. So it's not just they want to make returns, it's that they also want to have economic development. They also want to raise like the middle classes or they want to invest in key infrastructure that all of their citizens benefit from. Um, and you know, what you, you see a lot of these funds have, have emerged in like the Middle East, uh, in Asia, and like Norway's got a humongous fund too, um, mm -hmm. based on all the oil proceeds. And so anyway, so I went from there and then one day I got this call with a mentor of mine called Ashby Monk, who is at Stanford. And he's really interested in the idea of the engineering of finance. So his unit is at Stanford in the engineering department, but it's about finance, right? So how do we engineer a different paradigm of the world, right? Through investing. Yeah. And so that department is funded by big pension funds, sovereigns, banks, companies, like, you know, humongous, like Fortune 100 companies. And he said, hey, do you want to come and do some research with me about impact investing? I know how you're like really fascinated about that. I'm working with uh, a family in Chicago and the family in LA coming up with a with a project around how how should you do impact investing? What does impact investing look like? And what even is it? And this right. was still very nascent when you know you had a couple of the banks and some of like the consultancies pumping out a couple of reports about impact investing, mm -hmm. but nothing that sophisticated. And I, I came into that research project, so I went. I of course. Everyone, <laughs> I, I was like, I'm going, I'm going. I knew nothing about technology. I knew nothing about San Francisco. I knew nothing about Silicon Valley, like zero. I was like, well, what have I got to lose? Like, mm -hmm. I'm gonna go and explore. So I went and uh, I only knew him. And what year, what year was this? What year was this? This was, um, you know, this was probably seven or eight years ago. Okay. So this is right. Um, I mean, Facebook was, was alive. Twitter was yeah. alive, but not, you know, Instagram did not really yeah. do this. So, you so kind I of learned, <laughs> when I was being taught by that Lord Eatwell, that's when I got Instagram on my phone. Gotcha. I remember that. Yeah. That's the day I got Instagram, right? For the, that, that period. So, <laughs> So I went, I was living in San Francisco and commuting down to Palo Alto and then going into the center. And it was really amazing experience because I got to talk to everyone. It was super broad. Like the remit of the research was super broad. Like you have this grant, go figure it out. Right. And I was like, which okay. is cool, which is good. I think it's a good position to be in, right? Cause it's just kind of. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. <laughs> and so um, I ended up befriending and meeting like lots of different kinds of investors. So sovereign funds, venture capital firms, private equity firms, anyone doing a lot of private market 
asically investing. Mm -hmm. um, and then out of all of those conversations and understanding what people are trying to achieve through their investments, uh, I came up with two different kind of papers. So I came up with one which was about impact investing and one which was about just strategic investment in general. Mm -hmm. And what came out of the impact investing paper, which was slightly contentious, is I was just throwing everything out the window. I was like, I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't think that's impact investing. Like the presuppositions underneath it and the assumptions uh, were, were, in my mind, quite wrong. I think even today, because of that poor foundation that we had to start with and understanding impact investing, it's still very murky. Um, and we've got that legacy where we really now have to think very carefully um, about how you do impact and have impact through your investments. I've got now, I think, very cl crystal clear around what I think it is and isn't. Well, let's get into that exactly, because that's exactly what my next question was, because I think it's one of the most important questions, and I think it can be defined differently, probably. With anybody you talk to, they might define it differently, right? And I don't know if there's a wrong answer or a right answer. I mean, you might have an opinion on what, what is wrong or right about it. Uh, <laughs> But when you when you do say like impact investing, what does that look like from you know your perspective or social impact capital's perspective? I guess what do you, you know when you guys analyze something, um, a company or, or a founder presenting something like? Well, I guess what do you look for in is this at its base level? Is this even sort of an opportunity that fits into the impact investing landscape? Yeah. So the way that I create. A distinction around this and I think it's really important to have this distinction I think it really clarifies things very um, quickly is impact investing is a investment strategy like ESG mm -hmm. is a investment strategy it's not an asset class and I think it's asset class specific so the impact or ESG strategy depending on the asset class you are is very idiosyncratic to that asset class that's like a first fundamental principle that you have to have. As soon as you go down into the rabbit hole of asset class, like you're lost. Right. Um, so the way I make the distinction between impact investing, what we do and ESG investing. So impact investing is basically the belief that through investing in businesses or projects where the driver of the business model is the environmental impact. So it's sort of inextricably linked with the scaling function of the business. So as the financials grow, Hypothetically, so does the impact. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's actually a very creationist investment strategy. Like you're creating things, you're funding things out of nothing, right? They might be just ideas. Sure. Very, very early investing, say pre-seed or angel investing, is very much taking that like interesting existential risk and project risk. Because you don't know, it sounds like a great idea, but you don't know where it's going to be. It's go. definitely a leap. It's just taking a leap, really. It's a leap. It's a leap. Um, and then on the other side with ESG, I actually think ESG is primarily a public market activity or it's a, like a, a, it's a mature strategy and it's retroactive. So instead of saying we're going to fund a completely new project that is doing something really impactful, we have a pre-existing business that we're retroactively going to try and change how it does things in a way that's like slightly better. Mm -hmm. like, Explain real quick yeah. before you go, like, yeah. we keep sure. saying ESG, for those who yeah. don't know, yeah, I really kind of want to get into dig details of, of some of this yeah, yeah, stuff sure. because, it, you know, people will listen in might not be uh, as versed in the, in the language. So let's just yeah, talk about sure. what ESGs are. So ESG, um, environmental, uh, social and governance 
um, factors in investment management has been a thing that has developed in parallel to impact investing. And I think to some degree, you wouldn't have impact investing without the legacy of ESG. Um, so that's, I think, where people drew inspiration or um, the ideas around, oh, you could align your values with what you invest in began. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really like a, um, a board level or like a, a shareholder level um, activity where it's typically screening. So you're screening certain investments out of your portfolio and including others into your portfolio that meet your parameters around what you want on the environmental footprint or your social footprint, like the diversity of the board, for instance, mm -hmm. um, or the way that um, you know supply chains are governed or companies are governed throughout the whole organization. So it's, it's kind of around efficiency, but it's also touches on the social and it touches on the environmental, but it's not it's not um, bullish on the environmental or the social. And it's not saying to the business, you need to completely transform how you're doing something. Right. It's not, that's not what the question is. It's more like, guys, you should do things better in, in relation to these ways. I also think it's a generational thing too. So more recently, I'm like, I feel like the older generation is really into this ESG box ticking exercise. Mm -hmm. um, whereas like the younger generation, I'm like, no, like I can, allocate my capital and invest in ways that are in alignment with those values and it's core to the thing that I'm investing in versus do a little bit better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's 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 a great distinction to make because the older generation are usually the individuals with a lot of money, right? And they're looking for opportunities to to invest in and, and maybe they've had their their system their system in place for a long time and they don't want to deviate from that checklist, so to speak. And I think it's it's either the company's opportunities or, or individuals like you to maybe ex explain like, look, as you know, the world changes, also this checklist might change a little bit too. And I think one thing you said that was interesting was scaling, right? Because in the beginning, your impact may be sort of easy to analyze, right? And and also the adverse effects of your business might not be that much in the beginning, right? Yeah. As far as like if you're if you're using supply chains, right? Like what supply chain manufacturer are you using, right? Like what's the, what's the environmental impact of that? At a small level, you can kind of contain it and understand what that output is. But like you said, when you scale, it's then more difficult to maybe think about those things. You have to think about them differently, right? Because if you're selling X amount of stuff um, or you have so many customers, I think your environmental impact might be smaller than after, now that you have a million customers, right? Okay. What, is it, what, is that, what does that look like now? And does do the ESGs or whatever you want to call them have to be tweaked based on now the volume that the company is doing from from whatever sector it, it's in, right? So how do you how do you look at the environmental impact of certain things as they scale, and, and how can you like implement tools into that to to make sure you're either like offsetting some of the things you're putting out there? I know there's a there's a there's a rabbit hole we can go down, but just maybe your overall yeah. thoughts on that. Honestly, I think it's um it's still something that's being ironed out. I think the public markets have got way better tools, and mm. um, investors have way better and more sophisticated tools to be able to to manage at scale. I think for managers like ourselves and other people in our ecosystem, we're very much inventing the playbook right now. Um, but what really inspires me and gets me very optimistic, by the way, I'm, I'm now very, very an optimistic person. I'm not like <laughs> got the email person anymore. But um, I think that we're converging and that's what I find really interesting. I think that we're in this moment of convergence where we are creating the projects that will eventually or businesses that are eventually 
going to be funded by these mainstream investors. And retroactively, you've got these mainstream investors trying to change the way that companies that currently have market capitalization are doing things. And we're like meeting, we're meeting in between. And it was funny because I've, I've got this friend who um, runs a, a private debt and equity focused uh, fund in Australia, but he's like way more on the ESG side. And he's like, oh, you know, one day, Peter, we're going to be investing in your companies that are going to be part of our ESG portfolios. So, so it's like a graduation. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so I think it's really like a really important uh, conversation needs to be had around the life cycle of an investment. Because I think to your point, you know, for us, we legally require from the companies that we invest in that you articulate, monitor and measure on your impact over time and report to us. That is like a legal requirement we have with you. We can then bring in the third party to verify the validity of that metric over time. But beyond that, given our strategy, and I can go into a little bit with our strategy, beyond our strategy, and we've kind of dropped off at Series A currently. So we stop at sort of Series A. Beyond that, a question we sometimes ask, like, how do you ensure that the original modus operandi of this business is carried through till exit? And then you've got even more complicated questions, which is like, say it's an M&A, how are you sure, you know, a merger or an acquisition into a company, how do you ensure that the acquirer is still still has fidelity to that underlying intention. I think there it's about building communities and building relationships with different kinds of investors throughout the spectrum of impact. So we're actually a member of um, a fantastic community called Impact Capital Managers, which it basically is only fund managers who have pledged to report on all of their impact across all of their portfolios and implement those kind of tools internally. And it spans anywhere from, you know, funds like us, like we're managing small amount of AUM when compared to say KKR or Mm -hmm. Morgan Stanley. Sure. But nonetheless, we're like this group of people who are really thinking about this future that we're trying to create and, and understanding how can we collaborate with people or encourage our companies to collaborate with people that we like, who we think um, will do that. Because you can't do everything either. (laughs) Like it really does take a community. What's your thoughts on, I mean, analyzing and and looking at stuff and certifications is sort of a big thing now, right? And and the assessment of things, you know, you Mm -hmm. say you may bring third parties in. Do you recommend like your portfolio companies to become, whether it's like B Corp certified or if it's a product company like fair trade certified do you recommend certain things that they do that will give that a stamp of approval or is it like our own assessment is good enough where it's like we don't need these third party stamp of approvals right our stamp of approval is us investing in your company right that's enough well, yeah we we some, we have the belief that our thesis that you invest in businesses where the driver of the business model is the impact sort of mitigates any of the risks that they go, you know, they veer off course. Mm -hmm. And in fact, if you're investing in these kinds of companies, typically you're investing in a mission-driven founder. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's maybe a social entrepreneur and they tend to have this natural alignment towards doing the right thing to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that from um, a legal standpoint, we just encourage, you know, creating a U.S. business. Like when, when we're not, when we're investing abroad, we typically like to have U.S. domiciled, so it's easier for us to manage. Because mm-hmm. um, technically, our thesis is global and our, our our reach is global. But less on the entity side, I think the thing that we are really 
bullish on is like finding these businesses that are really hard to veer off course that are supplanting existing modes of production with just a way better business. Mm. So that's one model of the business that we look for. Like, are you operating in an ecosystem of other players and other market agents who are doing things really poorly and your net impact based on you fundamentally changing how you're doing the same thing? Like we love those kinds of companies. And then on the other side, we've got companies who do more, which is sort of like blue ocean strategy or like moonshots, right? Creating entirely new industries around an impact. Those are the kinds of things that we're looking for. But ultimately what we want to prove to the market is that you can have outsized returns investing in a very traditional way, Mm -hmm. uh, just with this very specific and very kind of quite in practice, it's quite rigid set of lenses around the things that we want to invest in. So we basically want to say like, hey, you don't have to do anything funky. You don't have to invest in a completely different kind of legal entity that you don't know about. Right. You can still do things in a very traditional way, but we're just going to be investing in different things and you don't realize what is actually investable right now. Do you want to talk a little bit about the portfolio of what you can about maybe what are some of the companies um, that you're invested in that, that you're really excited about and maybe like what they do and give an idea of, of you know, some of these companies that, that we're talking about. I think that'll, like, that'll sort of like simplify a lot of things and be like, oh, like that is a really interesting idea. And it's just, it's not completely changing uh, a product or a business, but it's doing specific things a little bit differently where if you just tweak these little things, like the impact can be enormous, right? For a lot of these yeah. industries. Well, I could just take a step back and I can tell you kind of what our sure. worldview is, and then I can talk about all of our amazing companies. So what we do is we invest in the best ideas and impact. So we're looking, you know, across sectors, across geographies, and to a certain extent across cause domains or problem domains. Um, in practice, we tend to think of like the largest system scale problems first. So, you know, if that's climate and ecological systems and healthcare, those are some really big areas for us and our kind of portfolio reflects that. And then beyond that, we then have like education, access to capital and these other themes. So we've got quite like more of a traditional impact approach to thinking about our investment lens versus then like a sectoral lens. The other really cool thing about it is we just get like natural like risk management because mm-hmm. none of our companies are correlated because they're in very different domains. Mm-hmm. So it's a really cool approach from a from a uh, investment management standpoint. Um, and then we're looking for this interesting arbitrage opportunity. So basically we look for mispricing really early on when traditional investors look at a deal and they're like, oh, ESG portfolio construction tools. How do you make money? Like, oh, I don't get that ESG. And like, well, no, like, you know, it's a $23 trillion emerging industry and it's growing at like an 18% rate. So actually, why aren't you investing? So then in practice, it means that we look at very broad and very different things. Um, And so as an example of one company we've got, we've got a company called Preact. And Preact has sensor technology and software that can prevent injuries and deaths from car accidents by 86%. Um, it can go into any vehicle, mm-hmm. whether or not autonomous or just like the new models of cars that are going to be coming out. Interestingly, it actually start, started as a DARPA project. And originally, uh, the IP was used to shoot down missiles. And that was being repurposed okay. in vehicles. So it's it's really it's phenomenal. But is it is it a consumer product or is it something that the the manufacturers actually put in the car before a customer even buys them? Yeah. So so it's like safety systems gotcha. for cars. Basically. Okay. 
Um, and so, you know, it's the equivalent, you know, Sarah joked the other day because we got this, um, Sarah who's a managing partner, mm -hmm. uh, we got a term sheet uh, for one of our companies, for, for that company. And uh, she said, you know, now you can go and tell your friends that you helped save like hundreds of thousands of people a year, more than if you had been a doctor, right? Uh, I was like, yeah, cool, I like that. But no, but so it is really like, so that, that technology is honestly the equivalent of saving at scale, like 330,000 lives a year. How far is that away? Is that actually in the market yet? No, so this is like a series A investment. Okay. okay. Um, but you know, it's also the equivalent of saving the US economy a trillion a year. Yeah. But it's not shabby. Well, and so insurance companies as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, that's like a perfect example of something that's double bottom line, that like you're having a humongous impact. Uh, even, you know, I mean, I've only just talked about the US market. You know, mm -hmm. if this was like ubiquitous, you'd be save, saving millions of lives a year. That's obviously a really grand challenge. Um, and actually, you know, car accidents tend to be a humongous cause of death just in general in life. Oh, it's massive. Yeah, um, it's so huge. I wanted to talk about like, it, to me, the, the consumer, a lot of what I covered at Cause Artists over the last seven years is really the consumer shift in their buying practices of what they buy and sort of why they mm -hmm. buy them, right? So mm -hmm. like ethical fashion is really big, right? Mm -hmm. we, I think we saw the, the revolution of what we put in our body like the food sort of revolution and like eating, trying to eat healthy as much as we can, right? And understanding the ingredients we're putting in our body. And I think now we're seeing the, the revolution of what we're putting on our body actually matters as well, because what goes into making this stuff can be very detrimental to the environment. Yeah. So I think that that sort of interesting shift and, you know, food, I think is still, is still a, a massive market where the education of of healthy foods is still a, a massive industry and and one of the per one of the deals that that brought out to me was like wild earth that, that mm -hmm. you guys invested in and talk a little bit about that and what went into maybe looking at the landscape of uh of that from just food in general right so i think like with eating better and and this kind of ties into what at least my personal belief is about impact and businesses that are attractive. Mm -hmm. Like first and foremost, I think impact has to be sexy. It has to be really mm -hmm. appealing. It has to be cooler than the thing. Like from a, if, it, if it's a consumer company, right? Yeah. It has to be cooler than the, the alternative. The, and we also sometimes think that also the impact shouldn't actually have to be the, the selling point. Things should be cheaper, better, more efficient, you know, that's the thing that we're looking for. It's not that the impact has to be the selling point. People should be able to consume the product and not even know how impactful it is. Mm. We're, we're like really happy with that. We think that's a great mm. paradigm to live in, yep. you know? With Wild Earth, it's amazing because it's a koji uh, mushroom that has a higher protein content than steak. Um, hmm. That's also probiotic. That's really healthy for your dog. Interesting. Uh, and they've started off with dog food. And the interesting thing about animal husbandry, um, so animal farming, mm -hmm. uh, it's the second largest contributor to climate change uh, in terms of emissions. Wow. Uh, with methane gases. Of animal husbandry, 36% uh, of that goes to pet food. Hmm. Um, so if you can change the eating habits of your dog knowing that they're eating something that's got a really high protein content that's actually really healthy for the dog's overall health and you've got this now trend that's emerging which is kind of like treating your 
pets like your family? Sure. You know, do you eat what your dog eats? And if the answer is no, why? Right. Um, so uh, we really like that because it's a non-obvious impact, but at scale, if, you know, all food manufacturers were using the Koji mushroom instead of pigs and, and cows and stuff, like it would have a humongous impact. Um, so that's a scale. That's a scale example. There's another company that we invested in called Endless West, okay. um, which is actually an alternative spirits company. So I also believe there was Interesting. like, you know, yeah. people are always going to drink. And I know there's this emergence of like mocktails, mm -hmm. which I think is like a mockery of cocktails, mm -hmm. um, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, based on the fact that everyone's always going to drink, but like the supply chains and the um, externalities generated from creating some of these drinks, like the water usage is really intense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, Endless West have figured out a way to create products that sometimes um, use anywhere between 100 to 1,000 times less water. Than additional uh, than traditional methods for creating whiskey or wine. Mm. So during the distilling process, you're saying they yeah oh, yeah gotcha, gotcha. exactly. So dramatically reduced water usage, and they can create basically anything in the lab. And alcohol at the end of the day is just simply chemicals. Yep. So um, you know that's what you're imbibing. Um, and so from you know, a sustainability point of view, it's got a humongous ramification if you're acquired, say, by Diageo, right? And you've got yeah, 100%. while you're doing business. The other thing that's really amazing about it is they can produce at a fraction of the cost point of traditional methods. So there's actually an economic argument to be had for it. Um, so we're really excited about the work that they do. Um, and outside of that, we've got one last company that I really, really like, um, which is more recent that we invested in this year. Um, and it's about food systems and food security and local, being eating local and giving back kind of to your community. Mm -hmm. So it's called Milk Run. Um, it's based in Portland and it's a direct consumer platform and marketplace for small farms and medium farms across America. That's so cool. over the next 10 years, uh, small farms and medium farms are expected 90% of them to go bankrupt. <laughs> so that 90% of them to fail because of industrial farming and the huge supermarkets. So enter Milk Run. Milk Run basically delivers fresh farm to table delivered to your door, right? So you can like go on their app, you can select really fresh produce, either in like care packages or like individually, and it's delivered directly to your door. The other thing that's really cool about it is that um, during something like COVID, like we've got right now, sure. This trend towards relocalization has accelerated. So you've noticed the big supermarkets and supply chains have been really disrupted. Humongous loss of produce. So like just farmers just looking into their fields, knowing that it's just going to die in the field kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, or even with, um, you know, the industrial farming of animals where some plants have had to shut down because of COVID um, infecting animals. So it's amazing thing where this business is not just profitable, saving farmers' livelihoods, but also saving food waste. One of the trends that you could argue is sort of evolving right now is this decentralization of economic activity, right? And like, I think we're all technically decentralized right now from our offices, right? <laughs> I'm in my dining room, <laughs> talking to you, you know, it's still doing business. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, that's going to have a humongous impact upon commercial real estate, you know, after this and the prices of real estate, which arguably is maybe a good thing, but, um, yeah, the air is much cleaner now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thanks so much, Peter. I really appreciate it. And I, I know everybody's sort of 
busy and, and, and kind of trying to figure out day to day what what calls to take and, and what calls not to take. So I appreciate you, you taking the time and uh, look forward to seeing everything sort of social impact capital does down the road. I'll, I'm going to link to like the portfolio and all that stuff because I think I, uh, I want people to kind of dig a bit further into kind of understanding what I think what we talked about earlier, what impact investing means. Like what, what does it mean when you know people put their dollars towards something impactful? Like what does that mean? What is the impact behind it? I think it's important to educate not only consumers, but also just readers in general and, and potential investors, right? To become impact investors is, is to me, uh, how we change, change everything. Um, so appreciate you taking the time, my man. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And you know, the other thing, I guess I would say just on that point, that last point is that we're actually more demanding than traditional investors. Mm. Our firm, we benchmark across the top decile venture capital firms. That's our benchmark. We just demand a lot more from our investments. You know? <laughs> it's not just like we want to make money. It's one, we want to make money in a way that we think is aligned with our value system. That's basically it. And yeah. you shouldn't have to have concession. No. That whole conversation about concessionary capital, absolutely not. It has to be at least market rate. And the ironic thing is, is that socially conscious investing, impact investing is actually good for like capitalism, right? It actually helps it be sustainable. Because right now, if we just go the way we're going, it's literally unsustainable. It's why everybody's trying to go to space. <laughs> you know, like they, if, we, if we cannot, we in order for capitalism to survive and ironically for it to be sustainable, there has to be a shift in, in capital that's invested into the future of sort of capitalism and investing in general and, and putting uh, backing these companies that have tremendous ideas so we can actually keep our planet going to where we can create new and amazing businesses. And that's, uh, to me, that's the idea behind it all. Yeah, absolutely.